Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here tonight. Colonel Fabruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yevamot, daf hey, page five. Gemara has a very interesting discussion at the top of the daf. On the previous daf, the Gemara, well, the Gemara basically why a Tana in the, you know, uh, the Academy of Rabbi Shmuel, right of Be Shmuel, takes the juxtaposition of tzitzit and shatness together to show that a positive commandment, an ase, can override a prohibition a lot. And what is that? And this is an interesting thing. We know that we have this commandment against uh, wearing shatnas, right? The mixture of wool and linen together. But yet, that's exactly what tzitzit is, right? Tzitzit would be sort of a wool garment, and then you would have, you know, linen uh, strings attached to it. And so why would you be allowed uh, to actually wear tzitzit? And so the concept that they develop is, is that an ase can actually override uh, a lot. In other words, that if you have to fulfill a positive commandment, there are examples where uh, you, you know, sort of uh, can do something that is normally prohibited to fulfill a positive commandment. So in the case of tzitzit, it's that you're actually wearing shatnas, uh, you're wearing this mixture of wool and linen in order to fulfill the mitzvah of tzitzit itself. And so what the Gemara then does is it says, Tinach Latana Debei Rabbi Yishmael, right? This fits well according to the Tana of the Academy of Rabbi Yishmael, right? Who basically, if you'd read the previous staff, uh, uses that the phrase that says wool and linen was sort of extra. So that's how he learns from here the principle that the ase overrides the lab. Lebrabanan mana lehu. But according to the rabbis who use that phrase that Tana Debe Rabbi Shmal uses for that, but the rabbis use it, uh, use the phrase to, do, to basically learn the fact that shatness itself is just a, a, a mix of wool and linen. Where do they learn this concept of ase that can override a lab? And so then basically what the Gemara does, and I'm not going to read this totally inside, but I just want to give some structure to this is, is they give a variety of examples or sort of suggestions from where you could learn this, right? So the first suggestion that they give is So they say they derive this principle from the phrase his head, which is written basically in the case of shaving your hair uh, in the case of Mitzorah, right? So what is the, the case here? that a mitzora has to basically shave all of his hair, including his peyote, right? And we know that you're not supposed to, you know, actually shave your, uh, your side lock. So they bring a brysa about this. Um, and, uh, and that the idea is, is that in order to fulfill the ase, right, of what you have to do as a mitzora, you can basically override the lab, right, the prohibition of shaving your side lock. Right. And they object to this. They don't think they the, the, and the reason for this is, is that and it's very interesting. The, the way that they object to this is, is that basically because this is not a prohibition. Uh, right. They say that this isn't a good example because the prohibition about shaving, about not cutting your payout only applies to men. So if we're trying to make a general principle of that assay that overrides a lot, it has to be something that is actually. Uh, what they call here shaveba kol. It has to be a law that applies a prohibition that applies to everybody. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So it's interesting that they're sensitive to this issue that it's not shaveba kol. It's not actually any sore for everything. Then they give a second answer, 
which is that they learn it from the Torah of the Kohen Metzorah, right? A Kohen from the word uh, Zikno, uh, Zikeno, right? From his beard, because we know that a Kohen uh, additionally is actually not, basically not allowed to shave his beard even, but a Kohen who's a Metzorah actually uh, would have to shave his beard. And so they quote a Bryce to prove this. And then again, they object to this also because they said, of course you need a Pasuk that allows a coin to shave, right? And that somebody basically would have thought that since the Torah gave, you know, sort of extra mitzvot to Kohanim, their extra mitzvot are not overwritten, you know, are, are not overwritten, uh, even though they're also not Shabbat Bakol. So again, they sort of reject this answer and they say like this example with the Kohanim is not a good example to learn this principle of Ase Bakol. Then they give a third answer, right? Which is we, you know, they can learn Rosho again. Um, and they try to learn that out, uh, uh, that also, but here it's the Rosho that has to do with, not with Mitzora, but has to do with, uh, with Nazir, right? That, uh, because also, uh, a Nazir is not allowed to, uh, is not allowed to shave at all. And so what Rosho is teaching there in that example is that the mitzvah for the Mitzora to shave overrides the prohibition for a Nazir to shave his head. And again, you know, because they said we already learned, right, that an assay overrides a lab that is not Shabbat Bikol, right? But then this would basically teach that even a lab that is Shabbat Bikol, right, because anybody can basically be a Nazir, uh, can also be uh, overridden. They don't like this either because they say a Nazir is sort of, the Yisurim of Nazir are a little bit different because anybody can basically annul uh, being a Nazir. So this is also not a regular prohibition. It's not a regular, uh, it's not really a regular um, lab. And so then finally, you know, they sort of want to, you know, uh, they, you know, so they, they really go through this. I, I can't go through this in, entire thing, but what they basically get to in the end um, is that they sort of get back to Shantas as sort of the example for any of this. And that really, we have to ultimately learn this um, from Shatness itself. So it's a very, very long passage. I can't go through the whole thing. But I think it's an interesting concept about mitzvot in itself, right? The idea that we have certain mitzvot that uh, we are is something that's actually prohibited to us, but we have to fulfill another mitzvah that involves a prohibition. And that's essentially what yibum is, right? That's the whole concept of what yibum is, that yibum is essentially an ase, right? The positive commandment for the yabam to marry the yavama, even though the love would be that they actually should not marry each other, right? They, they, they're not actually allowed to have a relationship with each other under different circumstances. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I would love to keep a list and I wish there was sort of a more thorough list. I don't know if it's only the examples that they listed on the staff of where we have examples of an assay that overrides a love. But again, I think it's giving us another sort of philosophical aspect about what Yibum is. They don't mention Yibum directly here on this page, but to me, Yibum is also an example of this. I'm sure there's a list somewhere. Somebody wrote an article. You know, the, something. I, somebody must have, right? I just have to find it. Okay, so I'm going to take over and go to Amadbet, where it's a similar... I'm taking over because get it, overriding. Um, we have here, Ashkechan da'ati asi v'dachi lotase greida lotase sheyishbo karei teicha ashkechan. So here's what's going on. We have... You know, all of these, all of this discussion is about when you have a, a positive commandment that 
pushes off or that overrides a negative commandment. And this Gemara says, okay, that's fine for like just a regular old negative commandment. But where do you find that you could have a positive commandment that would override a karate prohibition, meaning where the lotase mitzvah, the negative commandment includes a punishment of karate if you would actually do that violation, meaning how could a positive commandment override um, override a negative commandment that carries such a serious punishment. So the Gemara goes on. Um, so the Gemara says, well, the phrase with her, Aleha, which was, it appeared on the previous staff or maybe even the first staff. No, yesterday. It appeared in on Daf Gimel, right? The Aleha. So what happens? We're talking about the phrase Aleha teaches that the mitzvah of Yibum does not override the prohibition against Eshet, no, against Achot Ishto, right? Against taking the wife's sister, right? Meaning going, because just because you have um, you have a, a mitzvah of Yibum does not mean that you could then marry the wife's sister, right? Why would you have to say that at all? Why wouldn't we just say that's one of those things that's not even necessary to mention, right? You could have just said that, you know, why would you have ever thought that Yibu would override this thing? So the Gemara says, I'm sorry, Mimila. You could say, well, let's derive it from the mitzvah of Brit Mila, circumcision, right? Because there's a positive mitzvah to do circumcision on the eighth day of the baby boy's life, assuming everybody's healthy and so on, right? And what that means is, even if it's on Shabbat, we have a mitzvah of doing Brit Mila. And the mitzvah, the positive mitzvah of Brit Milah overrides the prohibition against not doing malacha on Shabbat. To be clear, the phenomenon of, well, surgery, right? Meaning the taking a scalpel to one's skin, right? This removal of the orla for the baby is would otherwise be, let's say, injurious or whatever. If there were no mitzvah to do it, it would incur a, a karate punishment. Uh, you know, assuming, again, let's go back to, to Hilchot Shabbat, when we talk about, you know, a mitzvah that's done without witnesses and without warning and so on. Um, so the idea here is that the mitzvah of Brit Milah itself overrides Shabbos, overrides the negative commandment that carries a mitzvah, of, uh, a karate punishment on Shabbos. Malamila shekade nechertu aleha shalosh britot Mi Pesach, Mala Pesach, Shekane Karet. We'd have to turn the page here. Me Tamid, Mala Tamid, Shekane Tadir. So let's follow this through. What happens? We say, Brit Milah is such an extremely important mitzvah, right? That there were 13 different covenants, covenants meaning agreements as opposed to Brit, as opposed to circumcision, right? There's 13 different agreements, covenants that were established over it. And then the Gemara says, well, why can't you learn this from, the Gemara goes on to say, why can't you learn this from Pesach, from from slaughtering the Pesach, the Korban Pesach? Just like Korban Pesach um, would override Shabbos, right? That also seems to be a positive commandment to eat the Korban Pesach that would override the prohibition, namely shakting the animal, well, let's say gratuitously, would be a prohibition of karate. So why not? Mala Pesach, Shekin karate. What about the fact that the Korban Pesach would be different? Because it's a positive mitzvah that if you don't eat from the Korban Pesach, 
you are actually obligated in karet. The punishment for not eating the Gorban Besach is karet, which is highly unusual, right? The fact that there would be such an extreme punishment for a lack of fulfillment of a positive commandment is nearly unheard of. So the Gemara says, okay, forget that one. Let's talk about tamid. So then let's say that we've got a deal, the daily offering, right? That's the Korban Tamid, that's shafted every day, it's slaughtered every day, including Shabbat. So there you have a positive commandment, meaning to do the Korban, to shaft the Korban Tamid. That slaughtering would be a violation of Malacha on Shabbat, and that would be punishable by Karait. The Gemara says, no, because the daily offering is special. What's special about it? That it won't prove this case. It's special because it's so frequent, meaning it's literally every day, and the phenomenon of it being every day changes it from being just a regular positive commandment that can make this case. Okay, so the Ligamari says, okay, we can't learn this from any one of these cases. So we cannot learn this principle, meaning that you could have a positive commandment that would cancel out um, a a love, a negative commandment that has with it a punishment of karate, um as a principle, meaning each one of these cases that does happen, but each one of these cases is its own special kind of thing, either because it's, you know, the unique covenant or because it's Pesach, which has its own extreme uh, punishment or because it's the very frequent daily Korban Tamid. So they're, they're, each case is its own, um, it, it, it's, it's unique to the extent that it cannot be extrapolated from to make a general principle. So then the Gemara says, okay, so let's learn, instead, let's learn from two of them. Let's combine them together. So the Gemara says, Mehaititi, from which two? Mi milava Pesach, shekein karet. Mi Pesach, vitamid, shekein tzorach gavah. So the Gemara says, well, if you put them together with, you know, the Brit Milah together with the Pesach, then the thing that's in common between them is the fact that they're both very, uh, very important, very severe. Right, and that both of them, you would end up with karait, like it would be a punishment of karait. That's already its own separate thing. Then you say, well, let's put it together: the pesach and the tamid, the korban pesach of shechting the korban pesach and shechting the daily offering. Well, those have a different common factor, namely they're both sorech gavoha. They both have a requirement of gavoha. Gavoha meaning on high, right? Meaning this is a requirement for it to give to the temple, to the Beit HaMikdash, to Hashem, it's not the same thing as, you know, some kind of personal benefit. So the Gemara is not liking either of these combinations as sufficient to derive this principle. So then the Gemara says, well, what if you say, let's take the third option, right? If you put together Brit Milah and the Korban Tamid, so then we're going to say, no, also these two were are not a good example of this because both of these mitzvot I mean, the Korban Tabid and Brit Milah were, were told to, to B'nai Israel. they were told to the people of Israel before Matan Torah, before the giving of the Torah at Sinai. And therefore, and therefore, like, it, it's, it, again, it's like kind of, you can't make a rule for something that's so, um, um, such an unusual case to begin with. But, Valiba uh, Demanda so the Gemara says, well, okay, that works according to the opinion, meaning it, it works to not work, according to the opinion that the Korban Tamid, the daily burnt offering, was what was brought in the Midbar as a daily offering. 
But then, frankly, from all of these cases, meaning Brit Milah and the Korban Pesach and the Tamid, then you can't ever make this conclusion because all of them were obviously known, meaning to B'nai Israel as from God, but before Matan Torah, before the giving of the Torah at Sinai. So then you can't derive anything from any of them, right? Because obviously the Korban Pesach came before as well. So the Gemara has a different answer. Ella Itzterich, let's come up with a different way to understand that it's that's necessary, meaning that phrasing of Aleha in that verse that seemed to be superfluous. The Gemara says, no, Aleha is necessary, meaning if it were not for that, if it were not for that extra, apparently extra word, and we might think that the mitzvah of Yibum would override the law, the prohibition against marrying one's wife's sister, meaning, again, achot ishto, despite the fact that it gets karet, because you might think, and here the Gemara says, you might think that the halacha comes from the issue of kibur ava'im, and therefore, um, as opposed to there being an iser, and Isra Karet. And what does it mean? It, it, the, you might think that it's because of Kibbutz Ava'im. The, the issue of Kibbutz Ava'im would be that if your parents were to tell you to violate a mitzvah of the Torah, and that's this is supposedly, you know, the, the claim is, the, or the, the hierarchy of the halacha, is that even if they tell you a positive mitzvah, meaning to not do it, or a prohibition to go do it, right, then either way, you're not supposed to listen to your parents under those circumstances. Now, why he jumps why the Gemara, rather, jumps to Hebrew Aim here is not so readily clear to me. Um, but I'm going to pause at this point in part because we're coming to the end of the daf, but also because I, I think that what's interesting here is the effort, right, to show that, in fact, there's a way to say that a, a negative commandment that has a karate punishment would be overridden by a positive commandment. And each time there's an example where exactly that happens, the Gemara jumps over itself to say, no, but not in this case. These cases, and, and it tries, right? Each one individually is not enough. Put them together, two and two and two. Any one of the combinations is not enough. All three of them together, not enough because they come from before Matan Torah. The idea that they're working so hard to say, here we have a principle and each time rejecting the claim that there's a principle here at all, even though there are individual cases where indeed it happens. So I, I think this stuff is really interesting. When we started learning Tzachim, one of the things we talked about is that the beginning of Tzachim really introduced us to Midrash Halakha, right? We went through all the Psukim that talked about Pesach, and we learned a lot about how we, you know, get the Halachot of Korban Pesach. We're seeing something very, very different on this staff, which is they're introducing sort of halakhic principles, and then they're going through multiple cases to see which is really the best case to prove the principle. And so in a way, this is like uh, a revved up version of what Midrash Halakha is, right? Like it's going through all their cases that could possibly relate to this case, and then really trying to figure out what's sort of the quintessential case or the best case to prove this point. And it's sort of amazing to see how the DAF is structured this way because just the fact that they sort of had all of this at their, you know, in their head, all these different <laughs> and all these different learning. Remember, there's no printed press at this point. This is all memorized, uh, is actually quite astounding. So I really just want to point that out. I mean, one of the things we've talked about is, you know, for example, a Reuven has almost no Midrash Halakha because it's entirely rabbinic law. 
Hilchot Shabbos, like there's actually not the Sukim around Shabbos, other than the prohibition about fire, there's no specifics. And so it's more a discussion about learning it from the Mishkan, but those are not necessarily from Sukim. Psachim is really our first introduction to real Midrash Halacha. But again, I just, you know, so for Yavamot, I'm seeing this is a very different type of Midrash Halacha discussion. It's really, you know, in a way that we have not seen, and it's fast. It's multiple cases using many, many different psukim. And here, not just trying to learn the halacha, but trying to figure out what's the underlying principle here, right, that justifies the conclusion. That's our dot discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabbinit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.